Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Lights Out Podcast people, Miguel Iterate here. Welcome back. Another solid episode. The MMA detective, Mike Davis here, getting ready to... Head off into deep dive territory. Mike, we got another return customer here. Dennis King, and this is going to be the pride years. So we talked about the you know early years, you know, pre-pride. So now we're kind of getting to the meat of his career where there's controversy, there's there, there's huge wins, huge upsets. Just like the, the peaks and valleys in this episode are, uh, man, they're going to be really high and really low. That's for sure. Yeah, the interesting thing is, you know, in his heyday, which probably is what we're going to cover here in the pride years, you know, he was one of the top three, five fighters in the world. Top three. In, in, in the yeah. weight class. And that is. In the most stacked weight class. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that was still achievable and not being in the UFC yet, you know, and, and that whole, you know, not being reliant on a UFC career. So it's kind of a throwback to an older time, too. Well, Miguel, I, exactly. But, you know, I also, I think what we're going to concentrate on is um, the tournament for the welterweight belt. There's some, like, shenanigans that went on there that um, when brought to his attention, I'm going to really like to see how where he, how he reacts to it. Um, but also, like, you know, while preparing for that, you had to deal with, you know, the passing of a loved one, which we had briefly talked about in the last episode. Um Dennis is a savage, but he also, like, he he dragged his feet to go to the UFC. Like, it was a place that he really didn't want to be at, and that was kind of the exact opposite of everybody else. So, I mean, those questions are going to be interesting to clear up. Miguel, betdsi.eu, 50% cash bonus, up to $1,000 when you deposit it. If you guys gamble, it really helps us out by using our promo code lights out. Um, Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro, brother, we're coming to Orlando. Uh, we're going to do April. I'm not announcing anything yet other than we're absolutely going to be coming to Orlando uh, through Smooth Comp. But also February 5th, we're in Tampa. Uh, World-class grappling, register on Smooth Comp. I'm going to be hosting both of those events. And I'm going to be working with uh, Jeremy Bjornberg, a promoter in Minnesota. I'm going to be releasing some dates soon as well, doing a uh, commentary for him. Miguel, when these people like, share, and subscribe, are you aware that our growth gets bigger? Yeah, you know, the like, share, subscribe, and comment. I, you know, nobody Dude, else has to comment, but we really like it. We still are at the point where we still interact with just about every comment and stuff out there. If it keeps getting bigger, we may not be able to do that. So take advantage, jump on. Miguel, I'm going to tell you another thing. Cade Swallows. I'm going to do a deep, listen, I'm going to be doing a deep dive on his career without interviewing him on one of these post fights. If he continues to comment about me. (laughs) on our YouTube channel, because I'm telling you, I'm going to go, through his career without him able to defend himself. Not going to be pretty for either of us. So with that, ladies and gentlemen. Just Mike, as long as you get the pronunciation correct, you know, because. 
Cage. People might not know it's him I'm talking about. Is that what you're saying? Well, you you better pray. The thing about Cade is is hopefully you don't run into him. Cade's a pretty tough little dude, dude. You know, I wouldn't sleep on him at all. I wouldn't piss him off. I he's, guarantee. And, and he's already noticed you. I guarantee I could talk my way out of that situation long enough to quickly run away. That uh, I can <laughs> promise. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's cool. So, Cade, brother, keep this guy on us. Don't stop. Absolutely. Like, share, subscribe, and I'm Dennis K. Hey, first recording of 2022, and it's a great one. It's the second trip down memory lane with Canadian Dennis Kang, Canadian, Korean, Frenchman, international Canary Islands, too. Yeah. So, Mike, I think we left off somewhere, like, after Korean pride and stuff, but there's still a whole hell of a lot here to cover. So where, where, uh, where are we going to pick off? Here's Tennessee? the thing. The, the most one his beginnings are incredibly interesting. There's no doubt about that. We're looking at a guy that had roughly about about 500 record that had his foot out of the game at one right. point. His coaches saw something that even he didn't see at that time. And Miguel, I, I watched his beginning fights. You looked at a person that was thinking MMA. And then later on, you saw somebody that was starting to speak MMA rather than think it. Like they were speaking it as if it was their, their native tongue. And on December 4th, 2004, you fought for M1. And you've got a win streak going right now. And it's Alexei Vilasov. Zorov? Zorov, yeah. And that's exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on M1. And is this your first trip to Russia? No, it's my second. Okay. Right. The, the first one I fought Andre Semenov, the, the pride the year before in December. Exactly. Miguel, you got me that fight. Yeah. Yeah. It was a year yeah. before that he, he made a debut in Russia where he got a draw yeah. and the pride matchmakers saw. Yeah. So. It was a How is that trip? Is that easy for you? It, hey, is that easy for you traveling like that? Mm, it was a little tough, especially for the. I mean, for that fight, you know, like it was in Russia. Russia was weird. Like uh, everything was old. A lot of things in the hotel didn't work. There was no sauna. I had to. I had to make my own sauna in the bathroom by turning on the hot water and the hot, the hot, the uh, shower to make a steam room. That's how I, that's how I cut weight. But I mean, I did it, you know, I improvised. I didn't really care. You know, I was so by that time, remember this was the end of the year where I'd fought seven times. I was so deep into the fight game. It, everything was just normal for me. Like it was just like putting one foot in front of the other. You, you, you understand? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. let, let me ask you this is uh, in terms of Russia, you, this was Luzhniki in Moscow, which is the like St. Petersburg. Complex. This was St. Petersburg. Are St. Petersburg. Sure? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the Seminov fight. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So you stayed at the Hotel Moscow then. It was the big old no, Hotel Ukraine. Ah, even better. Okay. Yeah. Huge hotel. Weird though, but yeah. Yeah, the, those hotels, like, built in the 70s are very rough, man. Yeah, I remember Ben Roth, they were huge. But, 
Ben Rothwell was doing wind sprints in the halls. There were huge halls. Oh, they were just... massive. The architecture is <laughs> amazing. Uh, some floors, like if you're on the 12th floor, the elevator will only go to the 10th floor. So you got to get off on the 10th floor and then walk up two flights of stairs to work. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> so they this save is your money second, by This is your second Russian Red Devil in regards to... So now we're talking about Veselesterov, yeah. That's, so that's correct. a different hotel. That's in Moscow. Yes. Okay. So, did you think you were getting targeted by them? Like, were they requesting? No, I was supposed you? to fight Mr. Sulev, right? I was training for Mr. Sulev, and they pulled out because Mr. Sulev had a fight in Pride. I think he fought Dean Lister or, or Kira Shoji, I believe, or Murillo Bustamante. Yeah. And so instead, or they said that he got injured. But then he ended up, I think it was a lie, and they just got him a fight pride, which was smart. I get it. So Vessel Everall stepped in as a quick replacement, and it was cool. So I've been to Russia before. The Russian Red Devil team has got an enormous reputation outside of Russia. Like you see them, you're like, man, it's, that looks like a whole bunch of money collectors to me. <laughs> what was it like seeing them in their natural environment? Hey, listen, it was incredible. I'll tell you a story. Uh, so this is after which fight? This is after... You just fought after Spirit FC? Uh, Gino no, no. I, the, uh, the, after after the, the Semenov fight, uh, okay. Marcus and... No, sorry. After the, the Veselesterov fight in Moscow. Oh, no, sorry. My bad. After the, Sem the Semenov fight in St. Petersburg, my coach Marcus and I Wait, met these right? Russians... Huh? Are you talking about the Semenov fight in the future? No, in the past. Past. Okay. Go ahead. I'm just talking about a story. Then we met. We met these casino. These young Russian guys. They were like in their like their 30s. They looked. They were well off. They they had table like VIP tables around the cage. And after my fight, I went to mingle with the crowd, meet people. They invited me and my coach over to their table, and they're like, "Yeah, come come out, you know, blah blah blah." It was pretty cool. There was one guy there named Tarzan, and he looked like a debt collector for sure. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty funny. There was a girl there. She was really pretty. It was cool. Uh, and then we went and drove around in their minivans. There And before we would step in the minivan, the minivan was surrounded by bodyguards with earpieces looking around to make sure that no, apparently kidnapping was really big at that time. In, in, in Moscow and we'd get in the minivan and drive around and in the minivan he's like look at this and he pulls out a sniper rifle <laughs> he goes for hunting safari <laughs> man it was crazy like the thing took out the whole length of the, the, the minivan it was pretty funny um, and then it was, they, it was cool they showed us a, a bunch of places it was like 2 a.m. In, in, uh, in Moscow or St. Petersburg, right? And then they took us to their casino because they own the casino, a huge casino, like the size of a Las Vegas casino, or at least it seemed like it at the time. You know, when you're younger, everything seems bigger. <laughs> we, they took us there after hours. The casino was shut down. The maids were vacuuming. Everybody was cleaning the staff. And we sat down at the tables and he said something in Russian, like blah, 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 blah. And then the waitresses were like, yes, boss. And they brought us all these cakes and sweets and coffee. 
And we got to eat and feast on that at like 4 a.m. in a whole closed down casino in Russia. And then he pulled out his, uh, he got somebody to bring a submachine gun and show it to us. I think it's called a Scorpion machine gun. Scorpio, if you guys are into uh, in, into machine submachine guns. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. And uh, they bought us all this caviar. It was amazing. And then at the, at the airport, as we're leaving, um, the the customs kept part of the caviar. They said, you can't take that much or you have to pay a fine. We're like, no. Like, this man, this is like, they bought us all this caviar, especially for Marcus, you know? Oh, man. it was I was pissed. They took it away. We, we got to keep some of it. But still, you know? You know who was there? Keith Mills was there. Remember Keith Mills? Yeah. Yeah. Keith Mills was there. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's the thing about the uh, Alexei fight. Uh, Veselaz Zorov. That's yeah. better. That's actually better. That's it. That's I'm it. getting there. Got it. I'm getting there. A little more help. He's 13-5-1. Goes by the name The Destroyer. You're 17-7-1. Why don't you walk us through the fight? Because it's pretty interesting what took place. Um, it was, um, we bounced around a little bit and we bounced around. He threw a couple of high kicks and then we clinched up. And for some reason he tried to shoot on me, like, and we really sloppy shot. And I just grabbed him in the front headlock, dragged him down. And I put him on the anaconda choke. You got to remember the anaconda choke at the time was a very new submission. Minotauro had only used it for the first time in pride, like maybe three, four months before. So I, I can be proud to say that I'm maybe the second or third guy to use it in MMA. And I got him in the on the choke, spun him over. And and then so, you remember a guy named Roman Zensov? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Backstage, he goes, no, get a choke. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so the, the, the caveat to the story is, is uh, Alexi lost to Brian Ebersaw at the MFC, one of Miguel's events. Yeah. That was an absolute savage war where he was beating Brian every single Ryan. Brian kind of came from behind and submitted oh, yeah. him. R.I.P. Brian, man. No, oh, Ebersaw, no, sorry, I'm around. thinking Gasaway. Never mind, never yeah, mind. Sorry. Yeah. Ebersaw, so, yeah. The thing Ebersaw is, you kinda... the guy with the shaved chest. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it showed us that there was like a lot of levels to this game. Like Ebersaw is a junkyard dog. You can throw him in there with absolutely anybody and he's not going to get hurt and he's going to test their will. And for you to kind of get in and out in the first round with an anaconda choke with just relative ease, it kind of was your coming out party. <laughs> Would you not agree I with guess. that? I mean, I don't know. I just thought he was kind of an easy replacement, to be honest. I remember I was training for Suluev. At that time, Suluev was scary, right? Like, I well, why was I went scared? down to American Top Team. This is when I first started taking trips to American Top Team to train. Uh, and it's, I, I, right? And then, um, yep. so yeah, man. So I was training hard. I was taking it very seriously. And then after the fight, after I beat Vesel Esarov, um I see Suluev backstage and he's sitting like this and he's looking at me and he goes like this, like, okay, you got what it takes, you know, like <laughs> we'll meet again. You know, he knew, yeah. he knew. <laughs> it was, it was in the cards. Now you had mentioned that, you know, Suluev is a scary guy. 
Um, Miguel, would you like to kind of inform our audience of how Mr. Sulu have passed on from this world? Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's a Southern Russian from Dagestan or Uzbekistan or, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but Dagestani, uh, Chechnyan. Oh, he, was, that he was Armenian. He was Armenian or something. Armenian. Okay, yeah. That's a little bit different and stuff, but culturally living in Russia, he wasn't like a pure Russian. He was seen as an outsider. Right, right. He was he kind was, of Middle Eastern. Yeah. That puts him in firmly in the underworld. Yeah, <laughs> that in the underworld. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not talking about like the cartoon underworld with like ooh, little bad little devils and stuff. I'm talking about Russian oh, underworld no? with machine guns. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. You know, I'm not talking about pictures, little drawings and stuff. I'm talking okay. about real serious okay. shit. <laughs> so, so Dennis, he uh, gets arrested for murdering multiple Russian politicians. No, what he got, he got, he got. A, I, I, I was actually reading on it just the other day. Because Dean Lister made a post on it, he was indicted on some kind of conspiracy to murder, and apparently he was the getaway driver. And then he went to prison for it, and he got stomach cancer while in prison, really bad. And they refused to give him treatments, and he wasn't a poor guy, man. Like nobody deserves that. Um, he he wasn't a, a huge amount of pain. Like imagine having cancer and not getting treated for it. I mean, it's bad enough when you get treated, but he got treated for, he didn't get, he got cancer, stomach cancer, or intestinal cancer in prison. Uh, didn't get, didn't get any, uh, you know, any consideration, did get let out for a long time. Then they finally let him out and he died like a few months after. It's sad. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as if, you know, you're not sure if, you know, he took the, the pill to go down that road, you know, take care of my family, see on the other side. You know, was, he was just a hardened, yeah. hardened gangster. Like, yeah. And his nickname was the gangster. If you remember in Pride, his nickname was the gangster. would come out with a bowler hat and like a kind of like a, you know, <laughs> like an Al Capone kind of suit. <laughs> the gangster, Amar Silhouette. That was his nickname when I so thought of him. You yeah. start training. Um, at American Top Team right around this time. What yeah. inspired you to go there, you know, for additional, like, little touch-ups? Well, I mean, first, uh, I, I needed it. There was nothing happening in Vancouver. I knew that there was, uh, you know, there, there was uh, Vancouver. There was nobody, you know, there, nobody to train with in Vancouver. I had my coach, but no sparring partners. It was not a fighting city. And then number two, well, I was going out with Shelby at the time, right? So, you know, kill two birds with one stone, move in with her and then have a whole team to, to train with and a huge support and structure, infrastructure. American Top Team really was ahead of their time um, back then, you know? And uh, so that's why I moved down there and, and benefited from, from all the training. They, I think they had like, it was called America Top Team, but really... It should have been like an extension of Brazilian top team because it was mostly Brazilians. It's changed now, but back then it was like 70% Brazilians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dan Lambert did. Uh, I mean, he just brought in all these ringers. He really yeah. did. Well, yeah. Why don't you talk about the other part of that? I think I'll let you elaborate. Right. But uh, I think Marco Suarez to Ricardo Laborio is like a real smooth transition too. Right. Like that. Yeah, that's of course. Like, Fits like a glove for you. Talk about, about yeah, how that goes on. You know, how that 
you know, Marcos must have called him and said, hey, look, I got this guy. He really, he's got no one else around him here. Can you take care? You know, how, how yep. talk about yep. all that. Well, they had, they knew each other from Brazil. Marcus, you know, what, what knew each other. They trained together in Brazil at the Carlson Gracie Academy. Um, Marcus was the guy who trained Conan. Um, I don't think he trained Liborio, but uh, I think he trained Ricardo de la Riva. Like, Marcus was one of the main coaches at the Carlson and Carson Gracie Academy for a while, you know. So he was, he had a lot of respect, a lot of clout in the BJJ community of that side, you know. So it also, not only, uh, you know, was it good for me for training, it also smoothed things over. I didn't want to leave Marcus. Marcus was like a father figure to me and a mentor, you know. So this made seem, made things like doubly good, right? So great. were you managed by somebody at this time prior to the American top team? Um, when I got to American top team, I was kind of managed already by these guys and the guy, the spirit MC guys in Korea. Okay. That's why they yeah. liked you so much as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you go there and we, you got, after- Hey, you, you guys want to talk about back up a little bit and talk about my time on the ultimate fighter audition for the ultimate fighter one. We never talked Dude. about that. I don't even know if you guys know about it. I had no idea. No, no, so the fly, do fly is down. This is in 2000, 2004 before, before I fight for the, the spirit MC heavyweight tournament. And I fight three fights in one night. Um, and the fly is down to be uh, me, Josh Koscheck, Bill Mahood, uh, Diego Sanchez, uh, all the other guys from, from Tough One, Bobby Southworth, Jason McDonald, and they want us to be on, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we're like, okay, cool. They, they locked us in. This is when uh, Palace Station Casinos were still around, so they locked us in Palace Station Casinos, made us sign these uh, non-disclosure agreements. Where we, were, we were not able to leave. We could just order as much room service as possible. We snuck out and left anyways. We trained with, <laughs> with Mark Lehman. Anyways, uh, it was cool. Dana came and picked us up at the airport, you know, so this just gives you an idea of, you know, how different UFC was back then. I don't think you're going to see Dana or pick anybody else at the airport anymore, you know, no. but Dana picked us up in his Escalade back then uh, and just drove us back to the hotel from the airport. It was pretty cool. Anyways, uh, they, they were telling me that they wanted me to be like this, the, the star of the show, the face of the show. Uh, I don't know if they were telling that to everybody, but they were telling me that. And then I said, well, can I still fight? Other, this is in like June, I believe. And I had a tournament in Korea coming up. That tournament that I just told you about, heavyweight tournament coming up in September. I said, I have this tournament that I got to do. Can I still do that? And then do the show because the show is in, is in October. All right. So it would work out. Just let me do it. They're like, no, we can't let you do it. I'm like, uh, okay, that's a problem. I got to think about it. And then I decided to not do Ultimate Fighter and do that tournament in Korea. So what was the reason? Remember, sorry? What was the reason you, you, you decided that? Because I wanted to fight in Korea. This was important for me, right? This was really important for me. To well, win that belt in Korea. You- and, huh? I mean, the other part of it, you know, not to get And also, too I wanted to fight money. Fry. I knew, I knew something inside kind of, 
you know, j- just let, hold on. Let, let me finish. Let me finish. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. Yeah. So, um, so they're like, they bring me, to, I think the first guy producer for uh, ultimate fighter one was this guy, Pilgrim, Greg Pilgrim, I think. Anyways, uh, they bring me in the office. They're like, so what? So I'm sitting down, they're standing over me. What's going on, Dennis? So uh, what's this we hear about? You you don't want to do the, the ultimate fire anymore. I go, uh, yeah, guys, I uh, I think I want to do this tournament in Korea. And they're like, well, let's let's share what Dana has to say about this. Let's get Dana in here. And Dana on cue just walks in and it's just looming over me. And he's like, what's going on, Dennis? What's this? We flew you down here. You're ruining your career away. You've got all these knockouts. You've got all these losses. You'll never be anything, anywhere, anytime. You're throwing your life away. You need to choose Ultimate Fighter. And it was like, I felt a lot, a lot. I almost started crying. There was so much pressure on me, you know? And I don't know what made me stick to my guns uh, and say, sorry, guys, I want to, you know, I I, want to, I need to do this in Korea. And they're like, fine see ya get out of here and then i flew back and then uh how'd you, you get know, to the airport huh i bet you dana didn't take you back to the airport <laughs> no no he did take me back to the airport um, <laughs> um that's a good one and then, but, uh, uh, but, uh, if and then i, I ended up winning that tournament and then i, I went in fond pride right away anyways right and then I ended up fighting in ufc later anyways so it all worked out yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, let's be honest. You said they approached you. They, they, they had something in mind for you, right? Um, did that come with some type of financial incentive? Because everybody else, even like... Ultimate John, Fighter? Yeah, because at this point... Very John small, Kitch, very small. Yeah. It was they, peanuts. I think it was like seven weeks, maybe two grand a week, I think. No, some like 500 that. a week, they were saying. Well, maybe. they wanted him to be the star. Maybe they offered him more, but that's what I'm getting at. Even at then, at two thousand a week for seven weeks, I can't remember. Day, he probably made more than that for the Korea tour. Yeah, it would. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, two grand a week wouldn't be right. No, that's too much. Might have been five grand a month. I think it was five grand a month. Yeah, it wasn't five hundred a five five hundred a week. I don't think. So. I think maybe like some a, people got that. Some people got that. Maybe. maybe that's what Bonner got. Yeah, in our okay. interview with Stefan Bonner, that's what he said. He said it was like 500 a week, and then you got a bonus if you, like, finish the person that you fought. Yeah. Yeah, so it was me. Bonner was there, Sam Ho- Sam Hoger, all the other guys from Ultimate. What's his name? Uh, the other Canadian guy. Yeah, Jason, Jason Thacker. Chris Lieben. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe they picked him. Like, you had Bill oh Mahood. Oh, my God. Oh my god, that was like bad. It, poor guy. It, poor guy got traumatized. I think it he got PTSD from that, man. He, he won't do any interviews. He won't talk to anybody. They said he had to go into hiding after it because uh you know, Canada's not a real big country. It's a huge yeah. country, but not a lot of people live there. Yeah. And um yeah, they said that uh he got quite a few phone calls after he yeah. Dennis, had you heard of him before? Like, I mean, I know Canada, like you said, is big, but also the MMA community's tightened in. It's like he came out of nowhere as far he had as like, zero I... experience. We here's the thing: me and Bill Mahood were on the same flight as him, and we're talking to him. We're like, "Where have you fought? Like, where? You know, we're trying to figure How are you it here? out." Yeah, and he's from a really small town, like two hours outside of Vancouver, called Hope. 
like a really small redneck town. So I don't even know how he got on. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. Anyway, so that, that that's that's where that's where I back up. Um, that's how you got to that. I won that tournament, three fights in one night, and then after that, I got the pride. You know what's crazy is we had uh, John Fitch on, and he yeah. said that he was on the airplane, ready to go, and they called him on a cell phone saying, "Get off the plane, otherwise you're going to be stuck in Vegas because you're not on the show." So he had to go talk to them about getting his luggage out from the airplane, had to have his, you know, one of his parents come pick him up again. Like it's, what? it has a much what different do you mean? Time. They kicked him off the show? Uh, from the airplane on the way to the show. Why? I, I think it's because they had too many people from AKA on. Uh, yeah, but they couldn't, they I knew that. Up, sorry. Yeah, it's for okay. a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. So you go to Florida. You were at the American Top Team, and after eight years of fighting, you finally get the call to Pride. How does that connection take place? Um, I was at a friend's house, and I got the call to fight in Pride. Uh, my first fight, he gave me the name of the opponent. Who called you? Uh, the guys from Korea, from Spirit MC, right? And they set the date, and I was okay yes um you know i was happy but like i said at that time i was so deep and entrenched in the fight it, it didn't even phase me that much it was just another fight it you know you know what i mean like i was like okay whatever it's a fight i'm fighting you know wow so Sakahiro oba i fought but then after that fight so I won that fight by armbar. And the morning after, I remember going uh, to like a Dunkin' Donuts. They have Dunkin' Donuts in Japan. Going to a Dunkin' Donuts by myself. I woke up before everybody went by myself. And I was like, I, I made it. I made it. I made it to pride. And I'm drinking coffee and eating Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you know, I'm eating like Boston cream or something. It was pretty cool. So you were also, you also was were the first MMA guy ever to be sponsored by Everlast. Right. It was Everlast Korea, to be fair. Right? Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I tell you what, those Spirit FC guys, like, Man, they, they got did a good prime. job. Hey, they, they, they did a really good job with me. Those guys were amazing. Listen, Everlast. I did a commercial for LG Telecom. I, I was in a movie. I was in other commercials. I did a commercial for Dodge, like Dodge cars. It was amazing, man. I, I presented the award for the, the Asian Music Awards. I presented the award for the best Asian rock of the year for 2000, 2008, 2007, I believe. Yeah. You know, and, and you can sit here and say all of those things, which are obviously true. But the hardest thing they did was get you a winnable fight in Pride your first time out, which is yeah. probably the most difficult and, thing you can. And do. at that time, I, I, there's, so there's more funny stories. At that time, I was, um, I don't know how they found this guy, but I was managed. You know, in Japan, Miguel, you'll know this. In Japan, you got to go through a Booker, right? So, like, for example, Motoko is one of them. Or you guys Booker know who Motoko is. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was going through this guy. Well, well, can we, well, let me set the table real quick. So just because you have a manager doesn't mean you get those managers get to talk to people in pride direct. You had to talk to an additional manager in exactly. Japan and pay a fee. And then exactly. that person in Japan would go. So you say a booker, it's more of like, you've got to pay a percentage of your purse to somebody yep. for doing a job that your manager's already doing for you. And this, and, and some, most of them were good. Most were okay. This guy had part of his pinky missing. <laughs> I let, I let your imagination take over. He was a short little guy, balding named Mr. Muroka. Very like, <laughs> very like, like a little weasel, nice guy, charming, but you know, in like a weaselly way. And his wife was like this older Korean. She was Korean. His wife was Korean, older Korean lady in like her fifties, smoked cigarettes with like those long skinny plastic filters. Like it was such a cliche mm-hmm. character. I couldn't believe it. And he was always like, good boy, telling, calling me a good boy, and blah, blah, blah. And then I found out he was taking most of my purse, most of my per diem money. Like, you're supposed to get $100 per day per diem. He was taking 50 of it. When you hold up that novelty size check after you win, you're supposed to get $500 bonus. He was taking that. I wasn't seeing a dime of it. Like, it was ridiculous. My first line pride. My first two fights in Pride, I think I got paid, I think, three grand, three or five grand. Yeah, that's it. Let me ask you, because you mentioned the uh, Andre Seminoff fight in Russia that, that I helped you with. And I, I, I had shared a story last podcast that, that after that fight happened, while he was still in Russia, Kawasaki called me and said, no, Dennis won that fight. Dennis won that fight. So I would have thought... From that moment on, you belong to Kawasaki. Did do you know how you wound up with the other handler? Or no, I did, so Kawasaki was a manager as well, or a booker. He's exactly he's exact. His nickname is Booker K. Oh, his nickname is Booker oh, K. I know, oh, that Kawasaki. Yes. I know Booker K. Of course. Yeah. He's the no, guy, Bo- he's the Kawasaki he called me, not anyone any higher up the no, food chain. The, the guy, I don't remember him being in Russia. In in Russia, it was uh Sato, I think. Okay. What? I, yeah. I, maybe I. All maybe I can tell I you is him. I can't remember. Is I found out that you won the fight and that he called me. He had. I thought he would have some. Maybe he was just passing on information, but that's not like him. Maybe I made an assumption, but I thought he would have been your handler since that moment. I don't think he was in Russia. I don't okay. think so. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. He might have been, but. I my my memory's bad. Come on, but anyways, I don't know how I ended up with um. That's actually a good question. Like, it must have been the Koreans or something. Hey, could you complain idea. about this? Would they have listened? Huh? Could What's you that? complain to anybody? No, I, did, about this? I didn't know any better. So hold on. So I didn't know any better until finally I realized. Okay, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm getting taken for a ride here, and then I talked to Laborio, and then I switched over to Matoko. And that was way better, right? Okay. Renegotiated my my. When I went with Pride, we just signed for three fights. First three fights, I think, were three thousand or five thousand. So I fought uh, Oba Semenov, and who else? Mark Weir, yeah. I believe. And yeah, then after weird. that, we re-signed, and I went with Motoko, and I got a huge pay grade, pay bump. 
Well, let, let, let's go back to that, that Very card nice. with uh, Oba. It's yeah. on the Fedor Kosaka undercard. Yeah. I was the Are first you... fight of the night. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the undercard. I mean, what, what was it like being around Fedor and his okay, so, little. So, first of all, first of all, I'm backstage. The, the Koreans are there because they have their own sponsors. They have Everlast. And then my coach is there, Marcus. He found some sponsors for me as well. And he wants me to wear his T-shirt of the sponsor he found for me. And the Koreans are like, no, 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 he can't. And they both start arguing about which T-shirt I'm going to wear. And I have to walk out in like probably 10 minutes. I don't even have my gloves on. So I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I started freaking out. Uh and then the Koreans won because it was bigger money. So I, we kind of had to go with it. Um, and then my gloves got on. Lebo helped me. And then it ended up working out anyways. But, yeah, it was, it was a little hectic backstage. Mm-hmm. Fighting, fighting first on the card can – some people like it. I don't like it personally, you know. Did, did you have any encounters with Fedor and his – I uh... did. I've, I've, way later, though um, – because he, he, he wouldn't have known who I was. I was nobody. I hadn't beat anybody yet, right? I met him. After, so first of all, when I beat Suluev, he cornered Suluev. Okay? So after the Sulu, after every fight in Pride, I would take a plane to Korea. And I would do promo in Korea. So you got to remember, at the time, Fedor was going to Korea a lot, too. He, was, he had a lot of sponsors. So we're on the same flight. And I'm like, oh, I'm a big fan. And he's like, he doesn't speak English. He goes and sits in first class. I go sit in coach. Okay, cool. We the plane lands in Tok in uh, in Seoul. We get off the plane. We go through customs. We we'll grab our luggage. He's a little bit in front of me. There's all this media waiting for us. I'm like, oh shit, they're here for Fedor. I walk to the side. They all follow me. They're all there for me. Completely ignored him. Because I'd beaten Suluev, it meant that was in the finals of the tournament. Right? It was a really big deal. Because they were they were touting me as a Korean fighter. Right? So that meant that there was a Korean fighter in the finals of the Pride Grand Prix tournament. You know what I mean? And I'd beaten, I'd beaten Suluev in pretty quick fashion. I'd beaten Ninja in pretty quick fashion. You know? So well, we're, we're going to get to that. It was a big buzz. Yeah. We're going to get to that. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So... Your next bout, a rematch against uh, Andre Semenov. Yeah. Um, going into the rematch, did you have any concerns being that I, I think you caught, well, you caught a draw with him uh, in Russia? No, I didn't care. Um, the problem was I lost my passport for that fight. So I'm in Florida. I'm supposed I'm – su- so let's say it's like Sunday. I'm fighting the following, I think, Friday or Saturday. I lost my passport. So I had to fly to Vancouver. I get to Vancouver on Monday or Tuesday, get my passport in an emergency, and then Thursday, flight to Japan, get there on Friday, fight the cut weight, and fight the next day. <laughs> it was crazy. And I broke my hand in that fight early on, and I won with one hand. Yeah, but I was in really good shape back then. This was like, man, I was sharp back then. I was really, really. Man. Well, your style changed. Your style, yeah. like, yeah. like for instance, like you know, when you listen to the first interview and where you're at now, 
you know, we talked about gears and shifting and, and, and kind yeah. of getting to that next level. At this point, I think, I, I don't know who with the American top team, I can, you know, assume it's Howard Davis, but yep. at this point, whenever these guys would start coming in with punches and bunches, rather than just kind of wait for your turn and kind of come back in through an open window, your, your reaction was to throw at the exact same time. Like rather than allowing them the opportunity to kind of, kind of, you know, volley back and forth with the yep. fight, you wouldn't allow that. And it started creating a lot of hesitancy in your opponents. Yeah. But this is the first fight that I found where you started using that tactic. Yeah. And it's with leg kicks, especially yeah. with Sulua, because he had, he had, uh, he had good footwork, right? But we're so talking about some his footwork, his footwork away. He was real quick on his feet. So I thought, take his footwork away, right? And so, uh, this is the first fight, or one of the few fights, I should say, where I have you ever heard of the flow state in sports? Yeah, it's like athletes talk about something called the flow state, where you feel like you're you're one with your body and mind, and everything is slowing down, and you can see things before they happen. That fight, I felt exactly like that. I'm watching Suluev. And he seemed so We're slow. We're talking about Seminov. Oh, Seminov. Sorry. Seminov, I thought. Yeah, Seminov, I didn't feel like that. Okay, so <laughs> my bad. That's okay. My bad. That's my bad. okay. I understand. Yeah. But let me, what, what I think you're trying to encapsulate here is your growing process, right? And part yeah, of that exactly. was when you arrived at yeah. top team. Mike mentioned how a lot of tough fights in a row. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I fought that Mark Weir. Like, he was tough. If you watch that fight, he drops me right in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And then before that was Seminov. That Seminov guy was so tough. Like, he punched me in the neck. You know what I mean? He was throwing <laughs> those Russian hooks. One of them landed on my freaking neck. Like, who punches you in the neck? You know? <laughs> so with, with Seminov, the thing is, is like with one minute left, the referee issues you guys a green card. Um, as Seminov was backing up, as you continue to move forward, how does the conversation take place with the promoters afterward about them deducting your pay? They didn't deduct my pay. They probably just know. took his pay then. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I, they, that pay thing didn't happen all the time. It, it was very like uh, loosey-goosey. Okay. Yeah. It was just Even though they would, it was to scare people. And if you did it over and over, but you, you could – a lot of the times they wouldn't do it. I mean, okay. for me anyways, from what I saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Phil Baroni was on the undercard. Did you guys share a locker room at any point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hung out with him once. Yeah. And what was that experience like? It was good. He's a great guy, man. He's hilarious. That guy's so funny. Joakim Hansen was really funny, too. Yeah. One <laughs> of the funniest things was Joakim Hansen wrapping his hands using strips of towel, you know, like a towel, cutting the strips of towels, soaking them in water so they're harder and heavier and wrapping them around his hands and then putting tape over it to make his fist, like, super hard. <laughs> they didn't catch and then he knocked out. I think he knocked out Imanari or he knocked out one of the shootbox guys. I can't remember. Yeah. That's interesting. But, yeah, I, I sure, I think... Once I shared, I shared a locker room with Baroni. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would I hang out with him in the lobby all the time. 
the hotel lobby, you know. We've, we've got quite a few stories about Phil, you know, throughout uh, the people we've interviewed. <clears throat> so your next bout <clears throat> is actually, it's got a real interesting ending. It's October 29, 2005. You're obviously real tight with the Spirit FC guys. And there's no video of it. I couldn't find anything, but it's uh, Robert Viegas. Oh, that was a grappling match. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's not a fight. There's no contest. Yeah, I shouldn't be on there. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he's an interesting guy. I mean, there's no video of it. He's from Texas. Yeah. He's like, he lost his first fight by legal kick. Uh, he refused yeah, to fight Christoph Sosinski. He's kind of a he's an interesting I, guy. Yeah, I heard I heard some 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 weird things about him, but um, yeah, it was just a grappling match because I had just broken my hand uh, before that. Right, I'd fought Korea just before that versus uh, Jung Ju Choi or something, and then I, I broke my hand in that fight. I broke my hand for the third time, really bad, and then I had just my hand was just healing and. Spirit MC wanted to put me on the card at all costs. So they're like, can you do a grappling match? I'm like, fine. And in the grappling match, he's trying to squeeze my hand and just be real dirty. Oh, man. Like, you know, anyways, he ended up shooting on me and I blocked it and he shot right to my head, opened up a huge gash on his forehead and then they stopped it. I'm losing my voice here. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Miguel, I have to yell with the fighters that I coach, so I, I lose my voice from teaching, from coaching. <laughs> I'm that kind of coach. You know. Well, here, why don't we give a plug to your gym? I mean, this is your second round with us. Yeah. Right now, it's uh, Pinnacle MMA. I'm trying to make a new generation over there. Uh, I got some young up-and-coming studs. Uh, we, we've had a good last year, you know, uh, undefeated in one draw. You know what I mean? Or I think three wins and one draw, and we're going to have more in 2022, man. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Yeah, Sam Stout yeah. spoke very highly of your guys. They're like, man, yeah. he's got – Yeah, because I fought one studs. of those guys. He's got, he's got tough guys, too. That was yeah. a really tough fight. Yeah. I, I think kind of Canada has that reputation, though. Like, if someone's coming from Canada down to the United States, even if they've got, like, well, two this, fights. This guy that I have is a Ukrainian guy, and he's a Taekwondo champ from Ukraine. You know what Waco is? This kickboxing event. Oh, yeah, Waco. yeah, yeah. It's, it's like uh, he's like double, triple champion in Waco at Taekwondo. And he's got like, think of him as like uh, a bigger version of Wonderboy Thompson with a little bit of Adesanya in there. His name's Ivan Rischuk. He's really good. Yeah. Oh, wait. 85. Oh, yeah, wow. You'll see. That's the guy who fought, who fought uh, <clears throat> Sam Stout's guy. Okay. And another guy named Derek Lang. And another guy named uh, Bryce Goujon. Yeah, you'll hear about him. Yeah, about him. yeah, it's it's what Sam said. You're like, man, a ton yeah. of respect for his, him and his crew. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a real good job up there. So, Miguel, Dennis jumps on your radar. Uh, Absolute Fighting Championship, December 10, 2005. You got him up against the rugged veteran, Ronnie oh. Fields. <laughs> Ron Fields, the killing fields. Yeah. Yeah. That was his nickname. Man, he, 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 uh, I remember catching his kick, punching him in the belly really hard. He falls on his back, going into his guard, and he must have let one rip really bad because I was like, oof, 
<laughs> like that punch to the belly. <laughs> Won't do that again. It happens in the fight, man. <laughs> so he was Miguel, a good guy. He was a good guy. Yeah. What was your thoughts of booking that fight, Miguel? You know, in this case, Dennis is a guy who's already Dallas. got a little bit of a name, and yeah. we're there in Florida. Uh, the sponsor of the show is the ATT gym, so I can see them. As, as, you know, Dennis describes uh, being kind of in, in, in the flow, not, not only in that fight, but he was also describing it that way in terms of how he was going from one fight to the next to the next, like a, like a you know, like a robot and, and that. And I think that's kind of what we got. He, he had to stay in rhythm, catch a fight there. I'm not going to be able to match up you know no. a, a super hard fight that's not what was intended here so yeah no you got him a good body too like feels is actually him. pretty durable feels yeah, pretty... feels feel got 60 fights so yeah yeah and, and you know the main event is uh clemente rich clemente who we've talked to and ryan schultz who oh really dude those I two are studs yeah. Ryan Schultz had that awesome tattoo of the lion, the lion. on his back or on his chest. Yeah, he was yeah. tough. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to track him down eventually, Miguel. He's probably got some real good stories from Team Quest. Um, back out to Japan after that, April 2nd, 2006. At this point, you're becoming a regular. Like You're, you're, you're probably yeah. in the captain's lounge because you're in the airport so much. Um, how, how, what time of time frame do you give yourself – you take a fight like when you go fight in japan how many days um it's usually but five days to a week i mean you can usually they, they'll only pay for about four or five days sometimes so you can negotiate and ask for more but sometimes you have to pay for the extra days yourself so and to be honest it doesn't make that much of a difference the only thing that would make a difference would be like an actual week like it's two or three days, and I actually might make it worse. So yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter that much. That's what I learned. So, so hold on. Second, so we're talking about what fight now? Mark Weir. Oh, Mark Weir. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the opening exchange, yeah, almost had you knocked out, man. But he, I it was weird. It just got me off balance. It was really strange. And then he got me on my back and side mount. And I'm like, motherfucker. Like, I'm a jujitsu guy. And he got me. He passed my guard and got me in side mount. I got kind of mad. So, like, I regarded, stood up, and probably did something that I shouldn't have done, but started brawling it out with him. And, uh, yeah, dropped him. At the time, you could, knee, you could knee to the head on the ground and pride, if you remember. So he was on the ground. I've got him in the tight clinch and just unloaded, pulled him over, and then just it was just ground and pound. So, but so I, the, I got kind of tired in that fight. My weight cut didn't go very well. I threw up everything that I ate. So I, about three quarters of the way through the fight, I was feeling pretty tired because remember that the weight cut, the, the weight class in Pride was not 185. It was 83 kilos. It was 182.6, right? So it, it was a little bit lower. Not that, that extra two and a half pounds made a huge difference, man. You know? 
Well, um, let, let's let's kind of recap. So, in essence, Mark comes out on fire and lands a kick. It almost looks like it hits you on the side of the neck. Yeah, but I wasn't stunned. I wasn't hurt at all. Yeah. I think that would have knocked out a lot of people, man. Maybe, yeah. I mean, so he comes in. Obviously, you heard the description from, from Dennis Kang. And with Mark, he throws lots of volume. It's just, and he's real long. So it's yeah. just, he always has the advantage of reach. And it's just, he keeps you away with like, you know, seven or eight punches right in a row to keep you at the end of his fist. Yeah. And rather than you kind of wait for a window, you went right into the storm and met his volume with yours. Yeah. Where, where did that strategy come from? Because this is something that we're seeing a lot out of you now. Um, just, that was just my style. Like, that's just what I wanted to do. You know, uh, I, I, um, I really wanted to impose my, my will, you know, uh, I wanted to fight, you know what I mean? That's just, I don't know how else to explain it. I just wanted to get in there right away. You know? Yeah. You, you stopped him with knees, you know, heavy knees, you know, on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark Weir is, is a tough customer. He's coming yeah. from Europe. He was one of the best guys that he was the best guy out of Europe. I wanted five at the time. Right. He fought in UFC. I think he lost to David Wazo, but yeah. I mean, in Europe, he'd beaten everybody, you know? Yeah, no, Mark was hundred uh, percent the real deal. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, coming from like cage rage, um, yeah. legit organization where they put you in against, you know, they bring in guys from you know, all over the world to fight their, you know, their, their guys. And Mark Weir is absolutely a tough customer. Um, right. You had, uh, what is it Marcos Tamara, Soares, and Wilson Govea in your corner? Yeah. Were those your main training partners? No, coaches. Okay. Yeah. Well, Wilson yeah, Govea, Wilson Govea was a training partner. Yeah. But um, I mean Marcus and Marcos Tamara and Liborio were not. Yeah. That was one of the few fights where Marcus Suarez could not come because of visa issues. So it was Marcos Damada and uh, and Wilson Govea in my corner. Yeah, Govea is actually training um, the police department down in Florida. He's one of their yeah. He's the, he's the police officer himself to the sheriff, I believe. Fantastic man! Like you couldn't have a better person teaching jujitsu to law enforcement. Man, that, Everyone that guy, always says it. Yeah, that, that anybody who, will, who who was trained with him will tell you that guy just pound for pound skill wise could have been world champion. Could have beaten the top two fivers. He was that good. Amazing athlete. But just couldn't he he, he had trouble when, when at fight time, but in the gym, so good. Probably my the only guy that I really didn't like going up against because he was so hard. Grappling, jujitsu, uh striking, like he was tough, man. Very good coordination, hand-eye coordination. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he um, he's kind of went over John Fitch on Miguel's show. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah down in Evansville, wow. hook and shoot. Yeah, no, for sure. Mark, Mark Weir is a loss to Nick Thompson on my show too. Yeah, just another show. Uh, my, Dennis, Nick let Thompson. Me ask you, wow. Let, let me ask you, well. <laughs> Dennis, while you're fighting at Pride, this, these are the Bushido shows. 
which kind yeah. of took over for Pride and stuff, and, and they were going pretty good here. Were you hearing rumors of them trying to set you up with Paolo Filo down the line? The reason I ask you is you fought on a lot of these shows with him, and, like, you know, at some point, like, he was pretty good, and then the wheels fall off. Like, how much of that did you get to watch? And did your teammates like, like, what what do you, what can you report about Paolo Filo at this point? No, no, no. We were, we were side by side. And I think they put us in opposite brackets. And I think what they were hoping, they were hoping for either me or Paulo Filio in the finals versus a Japanese guy. Okay. They didn't care. Me well, or Paulo We're Filio. skipping ahead here, Miguel. So yeah, why don't we kind of keep my, this my on track? Over. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was asking for something different, but I'll let you go grab it. No, no, no. Time. I got you. I got you. So you go back out to Spirit FC. Was this like a last minute replacement? Because it got you against a Hawaiian. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, Alberto, no, no. Just yeah, the guy was a last minute guy. Yeah, El- Albert Boscanellis. Okay, That's so your so last cool. loss at this point is like 2003 against Mayhem yeah. Miller. Yeah, like it's incredibly like impressive, and you get the invite to the opening round of the welterweight Grand Prix. Yeah, how does that negotiation take place? To even get invited into this tournament, there's none. They're just in because I was supposed to be in the previous year, but I broke my hand. Right? Yeah. So yeah, at, you at this dro- point, though, the, the Korean connection is really guiding you in pride as well. Because I mean, you know, I'm an outsider, but maybe you can feel Korea and Japan have very close ties, and including yeah. in, in the Yakuza's and stuff, they are very yeah. tied together. Like four and mo- most of the Yakuza's in, most yeah. of the Yakuza's in Japan, they'll never admit it, but have Korean backgrounds. Yeah, like Because most of the Koreans in Japan are kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, racism, I guess, a little bit, and a lot of the Yakuza's were from... You know, they couldn't get jobs. So a lot of them, a lot of the entertainers, a lot of the Yakuza's are from, have Korean roots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they always say, you know, Gaijin not allowed. Like, they don't allow white people, like, in some of the clubs there. Um, if yeah. you look at their... We, did, we didn't see that too much. Honestly, we were treated pretty good. We didn't see that that much. Yeah. 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 If you look at some of their hiring practices here, they don't, they don't really kind of hire too much outside of their own, uh, or their own yeah. race. Yeah, but um, in terms of the fight world, it helps them because, like, you know, in Pride, they're doing a tournament. They want to keep a slot for the Korean back, you know, and Dennis is a natural for that. So I think yeah, I think he was in, in a position where, yeah, in a position where, hey, you take you take the good with, you know, you, you take advantage of what cards get dealt you. And he was in yeah. a very good spot. There. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, I mean, it was being broadcasted in Korea live, right? So they, they, were, they were making money off the Korean public. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the sponsorships like coming from that country? Uh, well, it was mostly Everlast. Everlast was pretty big. Um, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Everlast. Still- and then I did some commercials. I did a commercial for LG Telecom, you know, like LG Electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a commercial for for Everlast. Uh, that was really good. I was in a movie. Yeah, I wasn't Dancing with the Stars, the Korean version. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That was, yeah. That's awesome. It was and crazy. your brother's that a was, big star. That was later there. on. That was way later. That was 2012. 
We'll go and your brother, now. as you had mentioned, huh? your brother's a pretty big star over there. My brother's a superstar over there. He's a superstar. He's like the Jake Paul or Logan Paul over there, man. He's got a crazy YouTube channel. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, good. He's done really good over there. Yeah. So let's talk about June 4th, 2006. Your opening round of the welterweight Grand Prix yeah. is uh, Marilla Rua. Yeah. I, I think they brought you in as a B-side on this fight. Did you get that feeling as well? No, I, I wasn't really even looking at that. I was just so focused. Um, I just felt the rivalry between ATT and Shootbox, right? Because ATT had a, a you know a slight connection to BTT, so you know um, it's uh, you know when when we like you know you walk around in the hotel in a group with your friends and your corners. Sometimes you cross the Shootbox group, and it's like two gangs crossing each other in the hallway, just eyeing each other. It was, it was, it was pretty tense sometimes at breakfast, sometimes just in the elevator outside. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, Murillo is, I mean, one of the possibly, you know, one of the greatest fighters ever in the welterweight division. Yeah. You get him in the opening round. And he was fighting at heavyweight before, too. It's crazy. <laughs> Want to walk us through what took place in that fight? Um, well, I, I mean, I knew he had he came forward quite a bit, right? Like he was all about aggression and, and overwhelming you. I knew he didn't have I didn't think he had a lot of power. I just knew he came forward a lot. So that's why I threw that front kick at the beginning, just, just to kind of stump him. You know what I mean? Smile. Um, sorry. He smiled at you when he did that. Yeah, he did. Gave me a bit of a cocky smile. Like, what? You're kicking me? And then uh, I just, I'm like, okay, I give him a little one-two. I jumped in with the one-two. And if you look closely, my forearm kind of grazes the side of his head. And it stuns him enough for me to finish him with left hooks from behind. Because he was kind of stunned that he turned around. He turned away from me. So his back was facing me. And I just walked up to him from behind. Just bop. Bop, bop, literally punching him from behind until he dropped and just finished him with hammer fists from the guard. Yeah. Man, how high was that for you? Uh, like, that was amazing, man. Like, because that was, a, I was so focused, so much training, so much buildup. And then for it to, to, all of that to come out in 15 seconds, it was like, you know, like, if it would have been a long fight, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been like that because I would have been so tired. But because I won so fast, <laughs> there was just so much more, you know, explosion and, and then the celebration, right? Yeah, you know, it was crazy. They panned to Dan Henderson and Marilla Bustamante afterward. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're kind of looking at him as the other person that they're probably going to fight. I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight Dan Henderson at the time. My <laughs> plan was to win the tournament and then challenge Dan Henderson. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's no tall order. You had Bill Mahood in your corner too. Um, for Ninja, yeah, I may have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had Soros and, and, and yeah, Mahood. that's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So Mahood is one of those characters that. <clears throat> 
Listen, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I've never met Bill Mahood. I don't know him from a hole in the wall. But yeah. I look at a guy that's in his 30s with a family that's in the restaurant business, sells everything in order to pursue, you know, a, a fight career and does fairly well at it. It just seems like there's a lot more going on there than meets the eye. But Bill Mahood is a throwback to the old school tough guy. For like sure. The guy is just pure toughness. You know what I mean? And not only was he tough, he was smart enough to learn the techniques of MMA and jujitsu and boxing and kickboxing. And he became a really good fighter with it. You know, like, you know, uh, I think the sport like said, got here too late. Old, sorry. It, it's almost as if the sport got here too late. Like if it was only here when he was younger. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's right. Was he a biker? Sorry. Was he a biker? No, really. Maybe a little bit. He biked a little bit, but not really. Yeah. But he was from a small town, like blue collar guy. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, blue collar guy. Uh, when we were in Russia, it was minus 20. He was walking around in a T-shirt because in his town, it was like minus 40 in the winter. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's from yeah. way up north, too. Yeah, the guy was and just he got a lot of street fights. Yeah, he, he fought. Yeah. He fought this guy named um, the guy uh, Tommy Trauma. Okay. Oh, yeah. Tommy, Tommy Sauer. Yeah. yeah. The EMT Sauer. paramedic. He was tough. And he fought with the Australian guy, too. Those were tough fights. Those guys were tough. Was it Elvis yeah. Sinisak that he fought? No, no. It was um, oh, oh, older uh, guy. Hashman. Yeah, Chris Hashman. Chris, Chris Hashman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And those were, those were tough fights at the time. For sure. That was good. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, you're like on a 21 fights without losing. Yeah. That's insane. Where is your head at? Are you even, people are obviously talking to you about this at this point. Am I correct? Yeah. About what? About your win streak. A little bit. I'm just focused on training, man. I'm so you know, like not, not, not to go back uh, and, and talk about Shelby again, but this is one of the things I was so focused on my career and on training and getting better. You know what I mean? The more I was winning, the more I was training, the more I was, you know, I, and, and I had like blinders on literally uh, just trying to get better. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it, it was hard to see things going on around me, but, uh, you know, it, it's kind of what I had to do to to get to where I wanted to go. You know, at that time, that's just, you know, yeah. I mean, at this United. point, you've got to be top five in the world, top three in the world. Oh, for sure. I think so, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, on top of that, you got a Marsuluev, a gentleman we had already yeah. talked about, yeah. who beat Murillo Bustamante in the first round to advance to the second round. He's at 22 6 and 1 you're at 24 7 and 1 where the majority of your losses obviously took place in you know your first 12 fights yeah so Suluev, where was your head at going into this um so, so for this guy i was a little bit more nervous because he was tough not nervous but i i knew i had a, a tougher fight you know so i, I took him uh I took him pretty seriously, you know. Um, and like I said, I, I, I wanted to take out his legs. 
because he had good good footwork, right? And uh, I trained really hard uh, with you know with George Santiago, Wilson Gouveia, Thiago Alves, all those guys. I think Gleison Tibau was there at the time, you know, Marcus Aurelio. Man, Tibau was uh, huge. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, like I said earlier, that's, that's the fight where I was in the flow state, man. He was moving in slow motion. I could see everything coming. It was crazy. And I was so sharp, so just like, just like, you know, onto <laughs> everything. It was amazing, man. It was crazy. I was so like, Sulu, it was almost like an outer body experience. It was, it was unreal. Yeah. So Sulu, Sulu at this time, he's the winner of two four-man tournaments and two eight-man tournaments. Right. Like he's as rugged as they come. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that's as rugged as you get. He's an old school yeah. throwback guy. Beats yeah. Bustamante. You obviously get a rear naked choke in that fight. Um, yeah. Very one-sided, I might add. And, um, you, it was like a one-armed rear naked choke. Yeah. How do you get the torque to finish that? Well, I, I first remember I broke his nose first. I got him with the right hand, so his nose was busted. And then I got the hand, I hooked it on the, the, the lat and then pulled it like this. And my other hand was here, coming from underneath, holding like this, right? So it was like this. Yeah. <laughs> Turn around, Miguel. Let me do it to you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm game. I'm game. <laughs> so Fedor's in his corner. Yeah. Um, any passing at that point with, with the uh, the whole Russian crew? It's your third Russian Red Devil? No, no, not really. I was just happy, man. It was just a big – because remember, now it meant that I was in the finals. Things were different now, <clears throat> right? This was the finals. The la Both fights were going to be in one night. This was a big deal. It's a you huge know? deal. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Arguably, you know, kind of determined. I did a lot of interviews uh, before that fight and after that fight, but with Japanese media, you know. So you got four men in one night. That's what you're training for, for the title. And September 24th, obviously, was a very difficult day for you. Yeah. How did the passing of Shelby Walker affect your your mindset and training for this fight? It, it was tough, man. Um, like I told you last time, it happened on 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 the twenty fifth on the Saturday or Sunday. I was back in the gym on Monday. The the guys at ATT, man, I can't I can't speak highly enough of them. They they pulled together and and you know just supported me so much. Howard Davis. Um, you know, uh, all, all the guys down there, man, like it, it, it was amazing. Howard Davis, Liborio, everybody, you know, there's the Marcus Soros came down, Bill Mahood came down, Roddy Ferguson, you know, like they all helped me out. You know, it was tough. I told you, man, there was like sometimes I was driving to the gym and I had to pull over to cry. Like it was it was really hard for me because I it had never happened to me before. I'd never dealt with with any tra uh, tragedies like that right so it was very new to me and then you know a couple about a weekend um i just had to i had to move apartments because i couldn't stay there because everything reminded me of her there's no way i could sleep so i got some of the guys from the gym steve bruno uh carlon you know carlon miguel to help me move all this stuff everybody helped me out 
I moved in with Mike Brown, I think. Um, yeah, man. It was a lot of a lot of logistics to figure out. And then I have to keep on training. And then my uncle died, right? Of cancer a couple about a month, a couple of weeks after. So it was a tough time at the time. But I'm I'm proud to say that I kept training. And on top of that, I had to deal with her family. You know what I mean? I had to fly over there uh, for the funeral. Um, just, yeah, you know, it, How it was, was tough. dealing it was, with her family? Sorry? How was dealing with, with Shelby's bad. family? It was bad. I'm going to leave it at that. It was not good. Yeah, they're in a lot of pain, too. I mean, you got to kind of understand that. Yeah. Man. At the time. You know, and confused. You know, a lot of pain yeah. and confusion. Of course. Yeah, you know, it's... um. Yeah, man, it's tough, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, yeah, man. You did the right was, thing, though. I, I mean, Dennis, you got to look at it this way. You yeah. know, you could have stayed there. You went to the funeral. You went to the wake. You saw them in person. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Oh, I didn't want to go to the funeral. I was telling the guys, I go, I don't want to go to this funeral. They're like, you got to go. I think it was Roddy Ferguson and Charles McCarthy saying, you got to go, man. You got to get it to get closure. And I'm like, okay. So I flew all the way to Texas, Corpus Christi, and I went to the funeral and then came back. I think it was before the fight, too. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. I can't remember. Yeah. Dennis, the easy way out would have been to avoid that entire situation and pretend. Yeah. Like, it didn't exist. But I think that would have haunted you later on in life. It did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, you did the right thing. Like you, and yeah. sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. It is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like you're a coach now. So you're asking your students to do something that you yourself also will do and have done. Right. You know, it's, you know, way the samurai. You got to walk. Yeah. It. That's right. That's right. So Frank Trigg says the dark horse of this tournament's Dennis Kang. He was the only one picking you to win. Really? Yes. Oh, good for Frank Trigg. Yeah, Frank Trigg. So November 5th, 2006, you step in the ring against Akihiro Gono. Yeah. At Pride 14. Yeah. Uh, Gono's 28, 11, and 7 from the very influential Garaka Dojo. Yeah. He's an all-Japan kickboxing champion. It's almost like a tale of two styles, a real fast starting yourself and Gono who really likes to kind of slow things down on his end and conserve his energy, make you burn out your energy. And then he kind of comes out at the end. Um, what was your thoughts? When did you find out he was your opening round opponent? Uh, I can't remember, but, um, you know, I just wanted to fight that fight to spend <laughs> as little energy as possible. You know, think, now thinking back on it, I think I could have knocked him out in the first five minutes, to be honest. Um, but whatever. I, I gave him a little too much respect. Um, he was crafty at the time. I'll give him that. So, you know, I didn't want to expend too much energy. I just wanted to do just enough to get over to the second round. Right. Um, so his path there is wins over Gegard Musasi and Hector Lombard. Yeah. So he's legit. Yeah. So you win your fight. Obviously, it's a decision. And yeah. a little bit of controversy takes place. Yeah. 
You want to go through that, or do you want me to describe well, it? Well, pa- Paulo Filio hurts his knee. He beats Muzaki in his first round, and then he hurts dominates. his knee. Dominates. Huh? He dominates. Yeah, he dominates and then armbars him, uh, and then he hurts his knee. Never uh, takes a single punch in that fight. No. Not really. I don't know how he hurt his knee, but anyways. Um, and then, so they say, I got to fight him. But then they had an alternate fight. So I don't know why that didn't happen. So, okay. So then they, they bring back Muzasi, um, who at that point had only fought six or seven minutes. And I'd fought 15 minutes already, 110, 115, right? So there was a little bit of a, you know, I, uh, uh, of, a, of a disadvantage for me right there. But it's okay, you know. Um, and then, um, yeah, that, that fight was tough, man. Oh, wow. and also, you got to remember, I tore my bicep in that first round against Gono, right? Um, you can see it right here. You see the hole? All right, so let me ask a few questions <laughs> of you, Dennis. Yeah. So, in essence, you fight Gono. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to say it's a hard fight, but it's a fight that you expended a lot of energy. Not that much. No, I don't think you, so. Uh, in my opinion, anyone that, that fights to a decision, you know, probably, yeah. you know, expends a little something. bit, little bit. Yeah. You tear your bicep. Yeah. You're backstage. Yeah. Do you inform the powers that be that you've got an injury because you're all taped up? No, 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 no. I don't think uh, I'm. I'm not, there's no way, no thought of quitting, of stopping. But right? I'm asking the knowledge. Did the people in the Pride organization know that you were injured? I can't remember. Okay. I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think we didn't want them to know because we didn't want it to get back <laughs> to somehow the BTT locker room. So who, who taped you up? Uh, Benke. With like that, you know, that magnetic tape? Oh, you know Andre Benke? Benke, yeah. yes. Benke, yes. yeah. He was the, the strength and conditioning coach. At him, and, him and this other coach named Mohamed Wali taped up my bicep a little bit. Kickboxing and, coach, Owali. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then um, I don't even know if it did anything, uh, but yeah. Right. I've got to yeah. be very direct with you, Dennis, in regards to this. Like, yeah. I, I watched this fight, and, you know, I'm – if you've got an opportunity to put a tinfoil hat on and talk about conspiracy, I think it's almost your duty to do so. Like as a person sitting in, in my position. So in essence, you got a guy in Paulo Filo who is a little head case in, you know, I mean, let's play devil's advocate here. Like the guy's yeah. absolutely head case in his own right. Yeah. He dominates Kazoo Misaki. Like yeah. I don't think a single punch or kick, with any significance landed, beat up Misaki, armbars him, gets out in like eight or nine minutes. Yeah. Um, and then backstage, there's an alternate fight that takes place. And then backstage, you're injured. You're going in with one arm. And, it's, and Paulo Filo steps back, says his knee's injured. I watched that fight several times, watching his movements. There's a slight little limp at one point, but it's not anything. He completely walked from the ring through the ropes without anything noticeable. And he never sustained any kicks to it. I watched him. So now 
We got a guy, Dennis Kang, that's in the finals. He beats a gentleman from Grabaka Gym, which obviously we just said, very influential when we started this conversation. At the time, uh, Masaki is also in Grabaka Gym. So you've got two people. Look look at how the Japanese are loading the tournament, right? Two Grabaka fighters. Like, how bad do they want a Japanese to win? You know what I mean? So now <laughs> you got a guy, you got two foreigners in there. And I mean, you've got a lot of favor, obviously, yeah. but you're not Japanese. Yeah. And now you got a guy that's, I mean, Philo is probably the favorite at this time due to the fact that you've got one arm. Yeah. And they pull him out and they put a guy that he just beat in rather than the alternate. Yeah. Do you think that they told Philo to sit back? Is it possible? No, no, no. I because think- Wanderlei Silva was online going after him about pulling out of the tournament, like following, like that. that no, I think he pulled. He pulled down on his own. Really? I think. Yeah, man. I think he pulled out because he didn't want to do it. What, what gives I'm you sorry, that? Man. What, what What makes you say that? Just. Listen, man, I I, your gut. I don't want to start controversy. I, I love Paulo Filio. He's, he's actually a good friend of mine. I stayed at his house when I was in Brazil. I ate at his house. But I think he pulled out be, apparently because of the knee. I don't think they pushed him out of the out of the event. I, I don't think so. Okay, I don't well, think they would do anything open, like that. But now I think he open, pulled. Huh? But now there's an open spot. Rather yeah. than go to the alternate bout, which was yeah. on the card, yeah. they put their own guy in there again. Yeah. Yeah. Where you Who fight. was the alternate? It was Musasi or, or, or Lombard? I think it was Musasi. And yeah. I, I, I don't. Miguel, do you have it in front of you? I think it was Musasi. And Musasi yeah. won, yeah. Yeah, Musasi fought Lombard. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's interesting how it plays out. Because yeah. uh, when you fight Kazu Misaki, yeah. you lost a split decision. His road to the finals. It, 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 was, it was a close fight, man. It was tough. Listen, that was that night was the closest I'd come to death, man. Like, after those two fights. So, basically, that night, I fought two 15-minute fights in one night. After that, I went to take piss. My piss was brown. I was so dehydrated. Like my body was just so worn out and just sucked of all, you know, nutrition energy, you know, just from pushing like be- between the, you know, in Pride, it was a 10 and a five, right? One 10 minute round, one five minute rounds. So I'm fighting Mizaki, the 10 minute round ends. I go back to the corner and I'm like, Liborio, I don't know. Marcus, I don't know if I can do this. Like this was really, really hard. My arm. It felt like it was popping out of the socket because of the, the bicep. It was it was really hard. Yeah, it was really hard. They motivated me though. They pushed me, you know. It was it was it was hard. Yeah. Wow. Can can, can I ask you a question? And, and I, think, I, I hope I you think answer. He, so I think he won that fight because when I was on all fours, he threw those knees. But if you watch carefully, those knees don't land. They just kind of gla- graze my gloves. But whatever, man. It's not the guy who fights best. It's the guy who looks the best, you know. So hey, let me ask you about. Let me ask you about Kazu. 
Yeah. Was he a little slippery to you? Does he look greased to me? Oh, um, he was real wiry. He was real tough, man. Like that, my brother called him a tough Mongolian. Like he had, he's got his head just looks real tough, you know. <laughs> like just real hard headed. I don't yeah. think it was greased. I don't remember that. I fought a guy who was greased, and that's your next. Maybe opponent. they use a different kind of grease, but like baby uh, oil, yeah. it, like baby oil, like maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's no secret. Guys would take scentless baby oil, take a real hot bath, let it seep into their pores. As soon as the sweat starts coming, it starts coming out, and all of a sudden they're impossible to get a hold of. Yeah, I, I fought a guy like that. I'm not gonna name him, but oh, I will. Happened. It's coming up. Huh? Yeah, I will. It's coming up. I, I've got that name. Yeah. So, in essence, um, how was your recovery from your injury? Um, it was fine. It was fine. It was in a cast for a bit, um, and then it just it just looks weird. I just have a hole in my bicep, but it's a hundred percent. Right. In a minute regular... thirty, in a minute thirty left in the overtime, you hit an armbar. Oh yeah. How close was that? Uh, not that. I was my hips were a little too low. It Man. looked really close. It looked it looks good. phenomenal. Yeah, it looked good. It looked good. I was a little bit too low. I I have to watch it again. I was a little bit too low from what I remember. And what I should have done is kept them on the ground more, right? It's just and, and then just ground and pound them and played safe, you know. Yeah. He kept shooting, and then he would land the knees, or he would throw knees that didn't land but look good, you know. And yeah. you were you kept putting yeah. yourself in a bottom position. It was almost yeah. as if the opposite of what took place with Mark Weir. Mark would take that position, except you would land your knees, yeah. and he would just kind of graze them off the side. Yeah, and, you know, and I, honestly, I was so tired. I was just resting. I was like, hey, I'm fine here. And it didn't hit me that it was looking that bad. You know what I mean? Like, if I would have known, like, Dennis, you look like you're getting fucking killed. Don't stay there. I would have done something. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I would have reversed it. So, whatever. Well, how was the taking the loss? How, how was that mentally for you? That, that was tough. That was tough. There was a lot of emotions coming in. I was, remember that tournament, man, was like two years. Greatest in the world. world. Yeah. There was like, that was my, my sole focus, you know, and then the whole thing with Shelby before, you know, just everything just kind of like came out backstage. It was real emotional, real, real hard. But, you know, I was also happy that, that I fought good fights. I was happy that I got so, you know, it, I, I enjoyed myself in the tournaments. You know what I mean? I got really good experience. I fought some tough ass guys, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, man, that's it, you know? Okay. So what yeah. were the conversations like with the people from Pride after that bout? Um, you know what? I don't remember that night. I can't remember, but um I remember driving in Matoko's car, I think the next day. We stayed for a couple extra days in Japan. Myself, uh, I think Laborio, Pahompa, we're driving in Matoko's car. She gets a call. She says, oh, that K-1 article just came out. The one that shut down Pride and everything. She's like, oh, I think Pride is going to lose their sponsor. 
And that was the end right there. Oh, you get, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. The article. Yeah. She got the phone call. I guess somebody told her in Japanese and she's like, Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Somebody's just made an article that probably had underworld connections. And then from there it was like done. You know and, what's crazy, and, but then and then Brian got bought by UFC. That's a whole well, other story. You, you know, Dennis. Here's the thing: everybody knew they were run by Yakuza. There yeah. was 100 fight fixing under there, yeah. and it, it's not like it was a giant secret. Like it was. No, the, the fight fixing there was very people. <clears throat> I think that that's kind of blown out of proportion. There was the odd fight fixing, but that was like when they were like Coleman. Mark Coleman was fighting Takata, like. That's a kind of odd fight, you know, in my opinion. I don't think it was as prevalent as people think. Well, Joe Charles, Vitor Belfort, that was a fake fight. Joe Charles, Vitor Belfort, was that Pride? Yeah, I think I think it was. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe, yeah. No, that was definitely a fake fight. Was that yeah. when Pride was that when Pride was under KRS? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it was just weird, like you know, I, I'm like, I'm in Chicago. I know that they've got underworld connections for years before they yeah. got brought down. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like one article does it. It's like, yeah. what does but it matter? If it's remember in, in Japan, like it's public and the sponsors cannot be associated with that. Right. In Japan, you know, uh, you know, maintaining face and, you know, your appearance on the outside is very important. Right. Okay. So everybody can say it, but as long as you can't read it, it means as long as you can't okay. see it. As long it's as so you know what I mean. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Asian it's culture is different, man. Asian yeah. culture is different. Yeah. I mean, you have to read between the lines a lot. What more. was it like fighting? In, you're you're correct on that. Uh, what what was it like fighting in front of all those people? What, what do you what do they have like 70,000 people at that event? No, it was like fighting in front of nobody because they were so quiet. <laughs> Literally. It's interesting that you say that because your next fight was incredibly raucous. And I had to look it up to make sure. Well, not your next one. All right. Spirit FC, you go back to Korea. You are becoming a hero over in that give country. Me, give me one second. Give me one second. We only got a couple more, Miguel. Okay, go ahead. You're obviously, you know, you love the country of Korea. You know, it's, yep. it's where your roots are. You yep. go back March 11, 2007, yep. Jung Gai Choi. Yeah. You, uh, he's 8-2-1. and one. He's out of the first legitimate jiu-jitsu school in Korea. Known I as beat John that Frank. guy three times. I beat that guy three times. I knocked him out. I submitted him, and I knocked him out again that time. You know, it says decision. Okay, it was a KO. Oh, Jung Yu Choi. Yeah, sorry. There was decision. That's why I broke my hand. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. So you broke your hand. Is it the third time or fourth? Third. That's your third time. That's what I've only broken so you it had, three times. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had mentioned that it was actually prior to your Seminole fight. It was actually this fight. This is yeah. the fight that your hand really had issues with. Am I correct? Yeah. yeah. I'd actually fragmented some of the bones, some of the metacarpals. It was bad. That was a bad fight. Uh. But it healed up fine, to be honest. I was lucky. So you had mentioned that um, in Japan, the crowds are incredibly quiet and respectful. 
they are that way unless there is a huge rivalry taking place. So the buildup is Sexyama, uh, Akihiro, or Yoshi, Yoshihiro Akiyama. He beats Sakuraba, who is like the national treasure of Japan. Yeah. Sakuraba backstage says, wait a minute. That guy was greased. Greased, yeah. They go back and check him. They say, not only is he greased, he's suspended indefinitely. So you got a guy that's, you know, he's also like an Olympic judico guy. Yeah. Um, also a Korean, except, you know, the Korean, Korean judo Japanese, was, yeah. yeah, the Korean judo wasn't as, as high as the Japanese. So his family moves to Japan. He gets Japanese citizenship and he's, I think he may have represented Japan in the Olympics. So he's, yeah, he did. He did. So, so he's somebody with obviously high end judo and, um, after the K-1 official suspended him indefinitely, it only turns out to be 10 months and they line him up with yourself. Yeah. How, how does that fight come about? So at that time is when I, had, I, I left American Top Team in the U.S. because I had visa issues. I got kicked out of the U.S. basically, unfortunately. Um, like literally. Just overstay? Huh? Overstay? Uh, yeah, basically, man, it sucks. Oh. And, uh, yeah, man, had to come back to Vancouver. I trained here for it. Um, <clears throat> did I, I train here or did I go to Montreal? I can't remember. I think I trained a little bit here and then I went to Montreal for it. With with, G- with George, right? Okay. Yeah. But still it was like. It, all my training camp was just all thrown all over the place, you know, because it wasn't like my regular routine. It was all new people. Like it was bad. So, yeah. How was your training sessions with uh, St. Pierre? It was great. Oh, he was such a nice guy, man. He picked me up from the airport. I stayed with him. We trained. He was just happy. He had the same problems that I did in Vancouver. He lacked training partners. So he was just happy to have, happy to have a, a live-in training partner to bring along everywhere. You know what I mean? Did you stay with him? I was a little bit bigger than him, but I mean, not that big. Like him and I, and I spoke, speak French. Remember my first language is French. So we got along great. He was such a nice guy. D- did you stay with him? Yeah, I did. So yeah. did you guys know each other prior to this or is it just, yeah, a little bit, yeah, just from the, just from the scene, you know, all fighters kind of know each other from the, you know, I fought one of his buddies, Stefan Potvin. Okay. In UCC. Yeah. So we had friends in common. We had a few friends in common. Yeah. Christoph Medu. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, that guy. Yeah. yeah. So in training with him, like, how would you describe, like, the volley between the two of you? Uh, he, he was good back then. It was pretty even. He got even better later. <laughs> He got even better. He was, listen, man, I prided myself on my work ethic. There's only two people that I saw either work as hard as me or outwork me. Number one is Jay-Z Calvaganti or Jazeus from American Top Team. Number two is George St. Pierre. Like, like, yeah, he, he, he worked really hard. Wow. He worked really hard, yeah. 
So and sexy yama. Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. I yeah. So for sexy yama. So yeah, man, that, that was tough, man. Cause I was like, I didn't really have a game plan that together. I was just kind of tagging along George's training. I was getting good training, but, and then in the fight, <clears throat> if you watch the fight, he thumbs me in the eye and I start to go like this and I, and I lose all sense of distance. If you, so I, what I should have done is timeout because nowadays that's what you do. I didn't know you did that back then, right? Nobody did that. So I kept on trying to fight. If you notice the fight, I start off winning. I felt like I was killing him. I was like, this guy's slow, man. Like I had him really good. Then he does something. He throws a flurry and he catches me with, with his thumb. And then I lose all sense of distance. I couldn't tell if he was here or if he was over there. Like, so I kept on thinking I had to get him with big moves and try to timing when, when he was coming in. So I started to do jumping knees or through overhand, which I was missing by like a mile. And then that's when he got me, man. I think he picked up on it and he could see me do this, like blinking, you know what I mean? And yeah, man, I should have, I should have called timeout. I'm thinking back on it now, you know, but hey, that's what it is, man. You went for a takedown. great for that fight. Yeah. You went for a takedown and you grabbed his leg. Did and I? It, yes. And like, this is the guy that I swear was greased. Um, I don't know if he was greased for my fight. That's not the guy I meant. I don't okay. think he was. I mean, I'm looking at like a repeat. He already got here. caught. Remember, there was even controversy about his glove. <laughs> Remember? Go ahead. There was controversy about his glove being being loaded. I don't. I think that was bullshit. But apparently, he was greased against Sakuraba. Yeah, I, I thought he was greased with you again as well. Um, dude, you grab his leg, and it's just like, yeah, it's like the beginning of the fight. Yeah, you had nothing on out really easily. You're right. You're right. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's pretty shiny in the beginning too. Like if you look at the the he's YouTube sexy comments, dude, you look at the yeah, YouTube I think comments. He, he just had he had no hair on his body, really smooth skin, and <laughs> well moisturized. <laughs> he's Hulk Hogan orange. Yeah, Hulk Hogan orange. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna it, take it, a guess tough. that the grease guy is the next guy up. Gegard no, the Gre- you want me to tell you who the Grease guy is? Go ahead. Man. If you want it's to, Jesse yeah. Taylor. Oh, okay. Oh, I can, yeah. I see. I can see that. He's a, you yeah. know. It wasn't even Grease. It was more like soap. Like, I could smell it. Like, he smelled like like soap. So, he, I think he either took a shower or didn't rinse off or something. I don't know. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. yeah. I was, there was a like career. I wasn't my... I wasn't the same guy by then, anyways, when I fought well, Jesse. Gegard Musasi, April 29, yeah. 2008. Yeah. He's 22-1 and one at a Caps gym. He's a yeah. famous gym out of Holland. <clears throat> Gegard, 50 Fight Club member. Um, sent him a message the other day. Hope to have him on here. That fight, it's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. It's, um, honestly, that fight, I I don't know why I'm usually pretty strong in fights and I never have problems with strength. That's the first time where I felt the guy was stronger than me. And I was like, fuck, like this guy's strong as a fucking ox. 
You know what I mean? And um, yeah, man, I I just happened to fall. Yeah, he's got really long legs. And I fell into his triangle right away. If you look, they're like, boom, lock on right away. And then that's what it was. I mean, I started off okay, but yeah, it's too bad, man. Where are you at mentally at this point? I wasn't quite, because remember, I was gone from ATT. So things were <laughs> disorganized in my training. I was training at TriStar. Um, so I was still kind of figuring things out. I was doing good at TriStar, but, you know. You think the changes? still kind of the beginning stages there, right? Well, do you think the changes over there may have affected your fighting style and kind of yeah, catch you? Yeah, it did. 100%. 100%. Right? Let, because let, also, also, um, I would travel over to those fights with either guys from ATT or guys from Vancouver. I wouldn't bring up guys from TriStar. Yeah, people say that, like, for instance, with uh, with Faraz Zahabi, he, <sighs> brilliant mind. Yeah. But he changes fighters. You know, you start seeing decisions on the record instead of finishes. Were you just kind yeah, of stuck in the middle? Yeah. He, I think he's, he's a really good corner, man. Um, but oh, he's got a different style than he, you know. I've I've heard that too, but I've worked with him. I've really liked his style, man. I, there's a lot of stuff that he does that that that's really good. You know, he's got a really good strategic mind, and um, he's really I think he's really good in the corner. That's one of his his strengths. Breaking tape down as well. He's very good at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. very good. Miguel, sorry about that. No, I was just gonna ask. So, so you went from Pride to K one to. The new show Dream here. So yeah. talk a little bit about Japanese politics and, and what you were feeling at this point. Was Dream, was it getting smaller? Was everybody feeling the pressure? Just give me your impression. Yeah, it was a little weird. It, it was kind of, it was. It's, it seemed like they were hanging on to the old Pride days and they were trying to bring it back. We were all hoping that, that would, that's what was going to happen. Um, you know, it was all the old staff from Pride basically, except for K-1 Heroes. Actually, even for K-1 Heroes, I believe, some of the staff from Pride was working with them. But for... Um, for... Uh, Dream? For, yeah, for Dream, it was all the staff from Pride, right? And that's that's what it was, right? They were wanted to make another, another event, you know? And they were making that tournament again, right? Um, and yeah... That, that's well, so, did mean, you ever a good job there, the feel was there uh you know it, and we were all hoping all the fighters that we would talk to like we were all hoping that you know this would be the, the second pride but it never took off with the same panache that that pride had you know that was just gone was that your first time at saitama um uh, i don't know i don't think so okay. i think when i fought when I fought uh, the finals of the, the tournament was at Saitama. Okay. When I when so, I fought uh, Mizaki and Gono, I think okay, so. Yeah, yeah, I think my <laughs> reference, my, my bad. You know, at the beginning of this interview, you had mentioned that Dana White picks you up in his Escalade, you know, for the Ultimate Fighter season one. Did you ever have any conversations with Saki Kibara? 
Um, yeah. The interactions? Yeah. Because it was through the translator. So you got to remember. So now we're going to go back a little bit. Remember UFC bot tribe. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yep. this is so this is going back. I was talking to you a little bit, Miguel, then, or through Dan, through Dan Lambert. Mm-hmm. Uh, UFC bought Pride, but there was a clause in, in the contract saying that you, if the company was bought, you had the choice to deny you going over. So that's what I did. So Saka Kibara and the translator and the lawyer called me and tried, and the UFC lawyer and tried. Sometimes it was like 30-minute phone calls trying to convince me to flip over UFC. Like, UFC bought this. They want you. They want you. I'm like, no, I want to test free agency. I want to maybe go to Bodog. That's when I was talking to you, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to maybe go to K1 Heroes, right? Blah, blah, blah. What was um, your hesitation with the UFC so much? Just they were – I was getting more money in – uh with these other shows, I think. Yeah. I, sure. I, UFC, remember, UFC wasn't the biggest back then. UFC didn't become the biggest until later. UFC still had like, uh, I don't know, a bit of a lower class feel back then, if I can say that. Maybe that's not the right words, but it definitely did not have the same prestige that it had now. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, so, and, and they were trying hard. They were trying to give me bonuses. They're like, we'll give you 10 grand. We'll give you 20 grand. We'll give you 30 grand to get me to sign over to UFC. And I said, no, 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 no. And then, uh, I was going to go with Bodog. And then that, that was for a big contract. And then Bodog folded. So then I ended up going to K1 Heroes and Dream. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So did it bother you that they were calling you direct rather than your management? No, they were calling management as well. We were having like uh, like uh, three-way phone calls. Yeah. Where was your management? Were they also kind of telling you? No, you know, Dan Yeah, he was telling me, yeah. Try to see what you'll, you'll get more money uh, with these other shows, you know? Okay, so Dan Lambert took over your management at this point? Yeah. Oh, you can't beat that. Yeah. No, I mean, you're in good hands with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You can say whatever it is you want about the American top team, but, you know, Dan Lambert. He's a lawyer himself. Yeah. He's so. Yeah. He's not looking to nickel and dime you like a lot. Like, if he took you and that means you, what was your relationship like with Dan? Super tight. He's awesome. Loved him. Awesome guy, man. Can't can't speak highly enough about him, you know. doesn't get the credit he deserves because he, you know, he, uh, he shuns the spotlight, but a little bit less now, but man, the guy should be in the hall of fame of MMA just, just for what, how much he's helped the sport grow, how much he's helped fighters, how much he's helped put over fighters, you know, and teams and, you know, all that stuff, man, that has, that has influence in the sport as a whole, you know, UFC will tell you that. I guarantee you. You ask uh, Dana White, he'll he'll tell you the same thing. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, Dan deserves all, all that type of credit. Now, yeah. Let me ask, let me ask you. How, how's Dan on the mats? He's good. 
Oh he's man, he's a black he's belt. Boss. We'll take some shots at him if we can. Here. He's really good. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I will we had, say uh, the last time I tapped with him, I, I tapped the way the last time I rolled with him, I tapped him. That's our last time. <laughs> there you go. That's what we so he owes me one. <laughs> so we had a uh, Bob Marowitz on the original UFC owner. Oh yeah. And when he was selling it, he had mentioned that Dan Lambert was absolutely yeah. in a conversation to purchase it. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, I wonder how come it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I I think it was very organized at that point. I think they, everybody who bowed out, and I think Dan says he stated he lost money, but I think everybody there knew that the Fertinos were the biggest, you know, the biggest whale. Well, he put the- on WEF instead, right? So. Who? Dan? Dan, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, Dan- that was Battarelli, right? Yeah, Dan had a bunch of his own shows, you know, and, yeah. and eventually he stopped doing his shows, supporting the gym and let, the guys go to other shows. He did a lot of shows and stuff, but I yeah. think I think he'll be the first to tell you that the Fertitas are a different level money. That even yeah, that, they are. They are. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. and that and Bob Meyerowitz also said the same thing. Talk about two guys that are doing pretty well for themselves. And, and also and with playing. Vegas connections, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about two guys, Meyerowitz and Lambert. They're both doing good in life. They, yeah. they don't have to worry about certain things, but they also recognize a bigger fish in the Fertitas. Yeah, that's, exactly. Think, you know, part of Dan's Hall of Fame career is recognizing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at guys with high eight-figure wealth, and then in Vegas, you're looking at nine-figure wealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan, Dan told me, he goes, I, I like Atlantic City. And I go, you know, Vegas is a lot more fun. He goes, yeah, but I'm a whale here. And, you know, in Atlantic City, he got lost. He, not that he got lost. He had, they gave him a lot of perks, more than me. Oh, yeah. You, Mike. You know? But, uh, but he, he, you know, he, he was one among a few in Atlantic, in, in Vegas, not in Atlantic City. So, yeah, it's an interesting game there. So, Miguel, I think we're obligated. He mentioned American Top Team. I think we're obligated to mention a certain couple of names that are guaranteed to get stories or he's lying to us so why don't we start with hector lombard <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you have any stories we love hector no he but... he came after i left oh did he oh. so he so hold on but guys he's a good guy he's tough he's great the, guy. Only, the only way i i met him was when he came to calgary to fight tim Boyd for his first ufc fight I think I told you guys this last time. They, his corner man couldn't make it across the border, his training partner. So they flew me. I was living in Montreal at the time. So they flew me over to Calgary to be a sparring partner for that one week before his fight versus Tim Boyd. And yeah, Hector was uh, quite the character. Very, very emotional. Very outspoken. Yeah. <laughs> was he injured? Was he fucked up before that fight? No, no, not at all. Not that I saw. It's didn't show it to me. No. Right. What about Tiago Silva? Tiago Silva? Yeah. Uh, you mean um yeah, he was he was a little nuts. He was tough. He was nuts. He was the guy. Um 
Tiago Silva, you mean the guy with the neck tattoos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So th that's the he was tough and he had a real mean streak. So when remember Kimbo Slice was yeah. coming to train with us at the time, right? Kimbo's the nicest guy in the world. I don't know if you guys have met him. Have you met him, Miguel? Yeah. How nice is he? Like, yeah, no, he was he came with an entourage and he attended our shows and stuff. And, yeah, but uh, he, but it, like Matt Mitrio speaks behind great the things about man, like the chillest, most nicest guy ever. Anyways, and it, he came on sparring day, and Thiago Silva wanted to spar him really bad because he wanted to make an example out of him and hurt him. And Laborio kept them away. Laborio's making the matchups, and Thiago goes. Put me with 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 Kimbo. He goes no. He goes why? And he starts yelling at him. And he starts making a big fuss about it, saying how he wants to kill. Not saying he wants to kill, but saying how he stuff spar with uh, with Kimbo when it got into a big beef. It was real tense. It was real tense. Yeah, yeah. He um, we we had a couple situations with him at ATT. We had to have a couple team meetings about him. Yeah. He was, he was a, you know, he was, a, you know, just a hot pepper, you know, like could pop off any second and he had a mean streak. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he wasn't that, man, he wasn't that good. He was good because he was a bully and he was, man, I, I beat him a couple of times in certain rounds. Like once I got over like that intimidation, cause he was bigger than me. I was like, okay, I figured him out. You know what I mean? He was tough, though. He was tough. He knew a couple of things, but I got him, man. I got him a couple of times. It was good. And I was smaller than him. Yeah. But he was good. He was good. Were you there when uh, Josh Barnett was there? No. What about I didn't Jeff even Monson? know he went there. What about Jeff Monson? Yeah, of course. Love Jeff, man. That's my man. Love Jeff Monson. I, I lived yeah. with him, with him and Mike Brown. And yeah. nothing strange happened. <laughs> um, I mean, Dennis, let me laundry. He left his laundry, dirty laundry, in the washing machine, and I guess forgot to turn it on. And when I went to do my laundry, it had been there for like a week. And I opened it, and just, the smell just wafted up. It was gross. So <laughs> we we've got an entire portion of our YouTube channel dedicated yeah. to Jeff Matson stories. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> Dennis, let me ask you uh, on a serious note. <laughs> a lot of people talk about Laboria, like being like, you know, like better than Hickson on that Hickson level, like a jujitsu. Like, what did, what did you see? You seem pretty level headed. Is, is Laborio all that on the mats? I mean, you had to see some stuff. I never, I never rolled with him. I heard all that too. I heard all that too, and I saw him. I saw him do that to other people, but I don't know if it was just a respect factor. But he was good for sure. He was damn good. But by the time that I was there, he was real old, and his back was really bad, so he okay. couldn't do that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Bigfoot Silva is fighting. Oh, he was tough. Oh my god, it was a nightmare. <laughs> He's with. fighting Eric Pele on an event in Canada. Yeah. And there was quite a few bikers there. 
Okay. And Carlos Diaz made the mistake of trying to walk through the bikers. And he said to me that he was inches away from death and you somehow knew them and kind of were able to kind of allow Carlos to pass through this group of individuals. Maybe. I don't remember that. Really? Rob Talix guys. Yeah. I probably, it was. Rob Velik. Rob Velik. Velik. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 I probably, it prob- probably did. Yeah. Velik actually fought on that it, But it, it could have happened. Yeah. Because Vancouver's, Vancouver's like that, right? They have a big presence here, especially at that time. So, how prevalent were they at the MMA events, the, the bikers? Back, back then, huge. And it, it, it kind of, a, lo- a lot of other groups, so to speak, were also prevalent at the MMA events. And it kind of gave MMA a bad name at that time. We're talking like Vietnamese the, mob. The 2008, 7, 9, 10, right? Two, uh, so now it's not like that anymore. You know what I mean? It's not like that. Now it's a lot more professional. But back then it was like that, a lot more. Yeah, like right around that time, it. right around that time, we had um, Antonio McKeon and they had the above ground fightings, like, like whatever, combat sports. And he's like, yeah, selling Coke. And, you know, we were just kind of supporting that organization with drug money. Like he, he said in our interview. And it's just, it was everywhere. Like MMA around that time, like if you had a, yeah. a keen eye, you could see it. But if you just yeah. went there for the fights and not kind of really looking at what was oh, around remember, you. Remember that event in California with the Mongols? It was, was it, uh, oh. so we've interviewed a few people that were on it. Steve Berger being one of them. And Chris Brennan. What was it called was, again? Millennium? It was, uh, was it not Genesis? Miguel, what was it? Millennium. No? No. It's an ultimate uh, athlete, right? Ultimate no, athlete. no, no, no. No, it wasn't yeah, ultimate athlete. It was ultimate athlete. It was ultimate was athlete too. With the Mongols? And yeah. Yes, they stabbed somebody and they almost guy almost died. And they, yeah, because one of the Mongols was fighting, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing is, is Canada's they're you know, for lack of a better word, their drug seems very different than the United States. In fact, in Vancouver, there's a, a tolerance for it. Like among the cops and stuff, like we're like legally accepted to a certain extent. Like you can, back then you could walk down the street smoking a joint or even be seen in certain areas of Vancouver doing hard drugs on the street, and they tolerated it. So it's very different than here. But that also hints at control and flow. Like keep in mind. Well, now, now, I, now, I, marijuana I, is legal over here in Canada. So. Yeah. so. Yeah, and back then it wasn't, but it sort of no. was. You know, you weren't yeah. going to get arrested. It's sort of, exactly. It was accepted. And yeah. and so, and uh, the thing about, it, like, I, I know, like, as far as ties, like, Bibiano Fernandez is a very high-skilled black belt yeah. and, like, a one champion, I think, was sponsored by bikers up in, in the Vancouver area, you yeah. know? So, I mean, Pele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Pele, Pele Landy was, was up there with that team, too. So, and yeah. Rob Velik did his MMA debut, you know, he was a biker, I think, that, you know, dabbled in fighting, but he did his MMA debut on my Vancouver show. Yeah. Okay, so. Mike Goblin did. Right. So, here, for instance, we're talking about the biker scene and stuff like that. Your fight, October 25th, 2008, Raw Combat against Marvin Eastman. Was yeah. that also a biker event? Yes and no. <laughs> Miguel, did you uh, like that one? Like I worked that one in. Was it was so, it smooth? 
So, so, so the bell rings, we're circling. The first thing I smell is weed going through the cage. Like somebody, so I'm like, I'm in there fighting and I'm smelling weed. And I hear somebody in the crowd go, give it up, Malvin, you suck. Like, give it up, Eastman, you suck. It was just funny. And then, yeah, I ended up winning in the first round. But yeah, it was, it was pretty much that kind of event. Rock combat. Yeah, that, that, that's hilarious. Yeah. I forget what fight. Eve Edwards has a story when he fought Aaron Riley. Yeah. Where he heard somebody in the audience say, beat his ass. Yeah. Like a, a backward. But the problem is, he doesn't know who that person was referring to. And he doesn't <laughs> know that they were rooting for you and not Marvin. <laughs> so that, Miguel, is Dennis King the pride years. What yeah. a roller coaster. And what That's a roller it. coaster. That's oh, man, it. you're going to leave off before UFC? Okay, I understand. <clears throat> wow, we, we got two hours. Go. That's part three. Yeah. Dennis, yeah. brother, man, that was good stuff. That I, was I, awesome, guys. Yeah, we're going to do sure. a part three, man, if yeah. you want, because we're going to do the UFC years. Yeah, that's for sure. We got to come back. With that. All right. That's for sure. So let's do another couple of weeks and I'll, I'll be in touch. We'll say we're going to save this one till February. Just so you know, Dennis. Thank you, sir. Appreciate okay. your time, Dennis. True legend. Love you guys. Love you guys. Awesome. Take care, show. brother. Where's Chris? Oh. Where's Chris? I'm not going to say that there was. Uh, let's just. Uh, okay. He's sick. He could make he, it. I just Got said it. a lot. I just said right. a lot. He's, he's, he's moonlighting. He's moonlighting. He'll be here next time, hopefully. Okay, awesome. guys. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you, awesome. Dennis Kang, the Pride Years, is in the books, Mike. And uh, how do you think it went? I think it went swell. Man, he's an interesting guy. Like, yeah. he's – and he's a talker. Um, and he comes with stories. And, like, he's such a nice guy. And you can tell just by, like, life in general. He's pretty green. Like, he's – He's, you know, he's got like a, a tinge of innocence to him. And the guy, the guy knocked out, you know, Hua in, uh, you know, 15 seconds. So it's, it's kind of like a, just a weird mix. Like it's a strange mix, just great human being. And, I, and I'll tell you what, his training partners, Carlos Diaz, um, you know, when we kind of call around, when we got somebody on our radar, we get the backgrounds done. And then we start kind of calling mutual friends and swear them to secrecy that, you know, the conversation stays between us. So we get a genuine reaction on the interview, man, Carlos Diaz. He's just like, man, please, please tell him I said hello. Like that guy. It's just like the, the love and respect that Carlos had for him um, was immense. And it spoke volumes of the type of person that, that Dennis was in and out of the cage. Yeah. I think, I think at the end of the day, the thing that, you know, what Kang really pulls off is being genuine and being a nice guy. You know what I mean? It's like there are not a lot of, you know, bullying or bad stories about him at all. There's not none, really. You know what I mean? And he got pretty damn close to the top of the game. And, you know, he was very interesting catch. Very interesting catch. It'll be interesting to close out his career now. And I'm not surprised at all that he's transitioned into a school and, uh, you know, is continuing to hand out jujitsu and that he has, a, you know, a team of, of young up and comers that he's savages doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. So yeah. Uh, hats it, off it, to Dennis. I knew everything it, he, at some point, everything he did, he deserves success. You know, 
the thing is, like, obviously a good-looking guy, phenomenal athlete, and he's also intelligent. Like, it's like speaks very language is intelligent. Like, yeah, you know? they speak. Yeah, it's like, like there's a lot of boxes that he checks off. That you know, even the most advanced martial artists just you know fall short of. Um, fantastic. We we're get we got to go back to Canada as well. Um, a couple people on our radar, Joe Dorkson. If you guys got something on Joe Dorkson or got funny stories involving him, please send them our way. Legendary, you know, 50 Fight Club member out of out of Canada, Manitoba. Um, we got him lined up. systems guy, too. Yeah, yeah, we got him lined up. So I'm pretty excited about that. So, ladies and gentlemen, like, share, subscribe. Once again, lights out promo for betdsi.eu. Um, using that promo helps us out. We greatly appreciate that. And I got a couple grappling events February 5th in uh, Tampa, world-class grappling, registered through Smooth Comp. And in April, we're going to be Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro. So pretty big news on our end. So, Miguel, I'll see you on the next one, brother. Dennis Kang, the Pride Years is in the books. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.